first two words that come to my mind are challenging and magical. Mm-hmm. Challenging because off the bat, I knew I, you know, people talk about mother's intuition or gut instinct. And when Brett, my husband, and I were ready to start trying for kids, I kind of knew pretty quickly that something wasn't right. y'all i'm jamie and i'm lauren and you're listening to mom where moms get real join us weekly as we talk about all things mom life unfiltered in a judgment-free zone hello everyone we are so excited today to have andrea steiger on with us on our podcast Uh, i'll do a quick intro and then we're gonna hear a little bit from andrea about her mom experience. Um, so Andrea is a wife and mom of three kids, an eight-year-old son, and twibbling girls who are three and a half. And we're definitely going to hear more about what twibbling means. I love that. Up until January of this year, she was VP of Marketing for a healthcare organization. Andrea's dual bachelor's degree in public communication and international relations from American University and a master's in business administration from Southern Methodist University. Uh, In addition to spending time with her family, she enjoys traveling, volunteering as a board member for various organizations, and supporting other women on their fertility journeys. Thanks, Andrea, for being with us. Thank you for having me. We're so excited for you to be here today. I know a little bit about your story, but not the whole thing, so Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to hear about it. I think a lot of women are going to be able to relate, Mm -hmm. Um, so... Yeah. yeah. So let's get straight into it. So maybe we'll just kind of leave it broad and then, you know, however you want to start. But what was becoming a mother like for you? First, two words that come to my mind are challenging and magical. Mm-hmm. Challenging because off the bat, I knew I, you know, people talk about mother's intuition or gut instinct. And when Brett, my husband, and I were ready to start trying for kids, I kind of knew pretty quickly that something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stayed with my OB-GYN for a while and then made the decision to switch over to a fertility clinic. And after rounds and rounds of testing and, and lots of other things, which I think we'll get into uh, further in our discussion, I went the IVF route for, to, ha- to have Dylan. And Dylan was my one good egg out of all of my retrievals. So he was my miracle. So that's why I say amazing, miraculous, magical, because becoming a mother was everything I've ever wanted to do. I've Ever since I was a little kid, I knew I wanted to be a mommy. And so it was challenge and hardship and craziness and scariness and shame and guilt mm. during my fertility process and then magic from there on out. Wow. <laughs> and I'm curious, you know, we had questions in our mind, but this is coming to me as you're sharing is you're saying for such a young age, you knew you wanted to be a mom. And I'm curious what that was like for you, where your expectations did not match, yeah. right? Your reality so, of it just happening naturally. I've had a lot of that in my life where I I dream up these things. And I'm not a crazy, crazy dreamer where it's like not reality. Mm-hmm. It's reality based, but I want it to unfold a certain way. Or I have, I want things like becoming pregnant and when I tell people like, oh, there's yeah. this holiday coming up or there's, and it'd be so great to be like the Hanukkah present or whatever it was. And failure after failure was happening. And so that was so difficult for me, which when I mentioned earlier, shame and guilt, I didn't want to put that burden on my in-laws or my parents. Mm -hmm. So I, Brett and I chose together to keep it close to the vest. And looking back, I I can a thousand percent admit that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. I really needed my, my village and support, but 
for me to feel like my body wasn't doing what it was supposed to do when I wasn't, you know, you learn in high school, you look at someone or you, you sleep with someone once and you're going to get pregnant. And like, yeah. that's just not the case. And one out of 30 women experience infertility, um, either firsthand or secondary infertility after they've had a child. And I knew none of this going into my fertility journey. I just felt like embarrassed, um, and scared and thinking, how could this not be in the cards for me? This is, this is what I planned for. This is what I've been, you know, preparing for. Um, so it was, it was really, really, really hard and painful and lots of tears, lots of anxiety, depression. Uh, my husband likes to remind me I used to just pace around the room, oh um, just kind of th- trying to figure out, like, what's the next step? How do I do this? Because I always felt like, okay, I, ha- I see adversity, I see a challenge, mm-hmm. I make a plan, and I'm going to go tackle it. Mm-hmm. And this was something that was so unknown to me, and I didn't know how to make the proper plan for myself, but I knew, I, but I knew how to advocate for myself. And so that's one thing, you know, I want to share with all your listeners, too, is, like, whether you know zero about healthcare or you are a doctor yourself or a doctor's child, like you need to empower yourself with knowledge and ask questions and don't feel like a burden because I feel like so many of us do, whether it be anything from, you know, a toothache to uh, not being able to get pregnant, you know, we sometimes are like, oh, that's, you know, that question isn't important or, oh, the doctor said to do it, so I'm going to do it. And so I think that it, for me, it was really important to kind of become the student and figure out what was the questions to ask. What what do I need to do for my body to be able to fulfill my motherhood dream? Yeah. So at, at what point did you decide to see an infertility doctor? So I think typically doctors like you to be trying for a year before oh. um, you go see a fertility specialist and... My, my OB at the time was, was wonderful in the fact that she was like, I know what we're doing is by the book and you're not responding. We did, I did Clomid, um, which is, is supposed to, but, and I peed on these ovulating sticks and it said I was ovulating every single day of the month. So something was clearly wrong. Oh, weird. Um, and I also, you know, uh, TMI, but I, I don't have cycles. And so I never knew when I was ovulating but I also was never told anything was wrong with me. Mm, like we did some tests, yeah. et cetera. So the one off the path thing I did, like usually I do a ton of research on anyone I'm going to work with, doctors, whatever it is, companies, et cetera. And I also judge a lot by a website. And I'll tell <laughs> you, I feel like if you're not buttoned up and like I'm not interested, this was out of the norm for me because my OB, who I trusted so like implicitly mm-hmm. and was – he actually delivered two of my sisters. Like he was like family. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was going to go with his recommendation, and I called him after, and I was like, "You must be crazy, or have you seen him in a while?" Because it was kind of his website was all kind of all over the place, and his office was stacks and stacks of things. And he was like, "Yes, he's like that, <laughs> but he is the best, and he's going to have you're going to have a baby." Wow. And so I was I went with that, and I was like, I second guessed it a little bit on the way, but. Sure. So this was probably maybe nine months to a year into trying and knowing that something was up. And then, you know, my expectation was, okay, you go see a fertility doctor. They do a few things and like, boo. Mm -hmm. No, you have to really, you know, this is a real test of patience Mm -hmm. and bonding with my husband. Um, Like he was my rock and supporter and encourager and shot giver. I don't do needles. Yeah. Um, And... 
we met with the doctor and I just remember, you know, him saying, okay, I need to do all of my own tests, which I felt good about because I want them to have the information. And basically I was diagnosed with PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is, so I have a bunch of eggs that were really small and they wouldn't grow to the size that you need to get fertilized. And so that's why my body thought I was ovulating all the time because I had all a bunch of eggs that were just releasing, but nothing could happen to them. Wow. Okay. So... I did three rounds of IUI, which is inner, inner, inner uterine, uterine insemination, mm-hmm. but didn't get to the insemination part because I responded too well. So there was uh, a risk of me having triplets or quadruplets because my eggs got so big with just a little bit of medication. So, wow, which was defeating in itself because then you have to start another cycle, another process, go down another path. But he really wanted to try that first because it's kind of like a, a stair step. You start with IUI. And then you go to IVF, and then you talk about surrogacy and adoption. And so we were stair-stepping and wanted to, to try the least invasive possible right. first. So <laughs> when that didn't work, we went the IVF route. And so that, and, I mean, and that takes such a physical and emotional toll. Mm-hmm. Um, physical because you are injecting your body with hormones to get your eggs big enough to retrieve and and then they do all the lab fertilization, and then there's the testing and all of this. And so there's a lot and of... And to retrieve the eggs out yes, of your body, yeah, which is also that, invasive. Yes, right. so yeah. the that you know the shot part was, you know, and then I have to get checked every week or so to see what was growing, what wasn't growing, when, what, when would be my actual, like, um, retrieval date, and then when would we do, when would we do an implantation? Um, and so his recommendation was the best thing to do was once we did the retrieval was to freeze them and do testing. So mm-hmm. we have put back the most healthy option that would have the most uh, high, highest likely of, of success for taking. And are you saying that when you did the egg retrieval, you only got one good embryo? No. So oh. I think they took out – my husband's a number guy, so mm-hmm. I'm butchering this. Sorry, Brett. <laughs> but let's say I think it was maybe like 15 uh-huh. were retrieved. And then of those 15, a handful matured, which means they got to the blast stage and that was mm-hmm. freezable. Mm-hmm. Once they did all the genetic testing, there was, this was the phone call I got. Mm-hmm. Brett, bless him, was traveling for work. He was in South Africa. Wow. Um, and all of my, all of the power, all of the control was taken away from me with IVF in terms of like, none of this was a surprise, natural. So all I knew I wanted was, I didn't want to know the sex. I just wanted to put one back and, and go from there and have a normal pregnancy from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember the call very vividly. Hi, we want you to have come in to talk to Dr. Pang. And I was like, no, what's wrong? Do I not have any eggs? And she was like, hold on. She put me on hold, came back, and she was like, two of your eggs have short arms. One's good. It's a boy. Oh, and then no. she was like, so we would recommend that you come back in to do another cycle, to do another retrieval. Oh. So I, like, hang up the phone, like, shaking, and I'm just devastated. One, that there's only one. Two, that she told me. And three, I'm like, what does short arms mean? I'm like, I'm short. Like, she didn't explain anything. She meant chromosomal. Right. So that having a short arm means that there could be a defect. Mm-hmm. Not guaranteed, oh, a short but arm on the chromosome. chromosome. Yes. Well, that's what my husband and I were thinking, because, again, no one's explaining this to us. And to her credit, she told me to wait for the doctor, Mm -hmm. and he would tell me everything. I I was like, no, you're calling me with bad news. Tell me the bad news. Right, of course. 
anyway, so I spoke with Brett. I'm devastated, and I was like, let's make a decision when you get back home. And, like, I had thought about it, and we had talked about it, and I was like, we have done so much. Three IUIs that failed. We've done this, like, wreaked havoc on my body. Yeah. We're going with this, and it's going to stick, is what I said. Mm-hmm. We're going with this. So he's my one good egg. Mm-hmm. Dylan's stuck. Mm-hmm. And I had a total normal pregnancy, no issues. That's great. It was great. Oh, my gosh. Dun, dun, dun. Have him, have him delivered. It was beautiful, magical, everything. And 12 days after I delivered, I had massive hemorrhaging. Oh, like, my gosh. like someone had turned on a faucet and I was just spewing out, peeing out blood. Like it was, so you were already home at I'm home. Point. He's 12 days old. Oh. And my in-laws had just left. So it was just Brett and I at home. Oh, my gosh. And... I called and I was like, I'm pretty sure something's wrong. And they're like, well, if you think so, you should go to the ER. And I'm like, mm, okay, well, I think so. So I like, you know, those hospital, I don't know, they're like pee pad pads. Or I like just put one underneath me and got in. And I was like, I'm going into the ER by myself. You're not taking our 12-day-old son. So Brett's like freaking out in the car. We call my parents who happen to be, thankfully, in town and five minutes away. Very, very, very long story short. I was bleeding out on the table, and I had to get a transfusion, and they couldn't figure out why. Oh, my gosh. gosh. Scariest moment of ever, of, yeah. uh, of existence, of my life, of for, for my parents, for, for Brett. And I just remember right as I, before I passed out, I had to, like, sign, like, that I was okay with a transfusion. Oh, my And I'm like, whatever, just save me. Right. Um, wow. And, yeah, it was, I mean, I'll, I'll put light on this since I'm okay, like, I had a new workout outfit on, and they had to cut it oh, all no. off of me to, like, put the things on, you know, the stickers, and it's very sad about that. But here you got through this <laughs> workout I know. I'm oh like, what's God. going right. on right. here? Right, right. What? And that's must have been so scary. Not no, know what's going on. Not know, yeah. That finally you got the dream. You had, had my baby. baby. Yes. And then. And everything was great. We oh. had the wrist. Like, every, you know, all, all oh. the things. I was like, okay. And I, went, I was going on a walk that day, and I was like, I'm getting out by myself. Yeah. Just to go walk around the neighborhood. I wasn't pushing it or anything. And I was like, oh, I'm peeing my pants. Like, that's what I thought was oh, happening. Oh, my gosh. So they thought that maybe the, the placenta didn't fully come out. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Um, that was not the case. Uh, but I did have to have a DNC because I had to, like, scrape in there, figure out what was going on. Oh, and and I stayed o- overnight for a, quite a few nights to make sure that I was okay. And mm-hmm. after the transfusions and everything. Months later, I had testing done to figure out, like, what happened, Mm -hmm. and they, like, could not figure it out. So, finally, I went to a hematologist-oncologist and did a bunch of testing, and he was like, you're a a conundrum. Like, he couldn't figure it out, and he's like, I'm going to run a few more, and I have this random factor 11 deficiency, and basically, factor 11 helps you clot. So, like, Mm -hmm. if I cut my hand right here, I would scab up fine, but, like, a big, like, basically, where he was attached... Mm -hmm was never going to heal over. So it was like a ticking time bomb against oh where gosh. where he was attached that would just never would would have never healed over and that's what caused it. Wow. So, it was great to have this knowledge, mm-hmm. but then it it set us up for hardship down the road that we didn't we were not anticipating and didn't know about for when we wanted to try again. Right. Right. Oh. And so everything that saved my life, I would have not changed that for for anything, mm-hmm. but I I what we think happened was once they did the DNC and they actually had to scrape your uterine lining to make sure there was nothing attached that shouldn't be there, 
it must have messed up my endometrial lining. Mm. And so when I had zero problems growing my lining to have an implantation, so the steps are after you have a retrieval, once you have a, um, imp- uh, a date where they're going to transfer the egg back into you, you take medicine and you get your lining checked. And it has to be a certain degree of thickness mm-hmm. for the egg to actually be able to implant. Mm-hmm. And I had zero issues with Dylan and... I just couldn't get above a five. And I think you have to be between, like, ideally it's eight to ten, but they'll take a seven. And so, I mean, we went round after round of trying all these different treatments and plans, and it just was, I had to keep canceling. Oh, I I had to do another retrieval (laughs) because Dylan was my one good egg. And we got two, and so I wanted more because I didn't want to do it again. However, knowing that we have this deficiency, I had to go get fresh frozen plasma transfused every time so it was like a whole ordeal I'd have to go 12 hours before stay in the hospital set up an IV get all my transfusions and then go straight and one time we think that they just didn't do enough so one of my transfers I um, got uh, hyperstimulated and had internal bleeding and was hospitalized again oh my gosh so I'm in all these like uh, fertility groups and everything and I remember this one woman posting saying like to those of you that don't have children yet, you're already a mother because a mother fights for her children and mm-hmm. you're you're fighting so hard. And I was like, I am fighting so hard. So hard. But, um, and so like at this point we were starting to talk about adoption. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked about surrogacy, but like surrogacy to me was Kim Kardashian. Like celebrities do that. Like we would never be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Like that's not something that normal people do. Cause mm-hmm. I, again, didn't know anything about it. Right. And I was like, yeah. and I was determined to just try to transfer one of my eggs. Mm-hmm. And so I did some, and again, still not a needles person, even though I had to do so many shots and needles, right. oh, but, um, such a toll on your body, such a yeah, toll. Really and like, I mean, at points during this, you look somewhere between three to six months pregnant, depending on what part of the cycle you're in because of what the hormones do to you. And wow. so it's just a real mind F because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, cool, this is what I could look like right. if this ever works out. Right. Um, but there's nothing in but there. There's nothing in there. Right. So that was, that was really hard. Um, especially I, I'm pretty petite. And so like, it's very, and so you have people looking at you and I'm like, mm-hmm. no, nothing there. Oh, that's hard to have to um, those comments. Yes, too. for so sure. Did, did anyone ever ask you if you were pregnant during that time? A lot of people would would ask like a que- a leading question, not saying are you pregnant right now, but more like, so do you guys want kids? You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, so to get me to say like, oh, I'm actually expecting, and I'm like, yes, more than anything. You know, mm-hmm. yes, more than that. Or I'd say like, God willing, you know, something that kind of alluded to like. Not easy peasy. Right, right. right. Yeah. Hopefully, um, we're not there yet. Yes, yeah. and you know, with Dylan again, I you know my, we we kind of kept our families in the dark, um, and so part of it too was you know I wanted some of that like specialness of like what everyone else gets to experience of like surprising their parents, and I didn't and I didn't want them to like ask after a transfer like did it take did it fail did it blah 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 like I wanted to be able just to have that on our terms, mm-hmm. and so I let them know that we were going through the rounds again and. We fi- I finally did, um, what's it called? The needles. Where you go and get the needles stuck into you. Oh, acupuncture. Oh, acupuncture. acupuncture. Yes, okay. fertility af- acupuncture. It's not for me, but I tried it just to see if my lining would grow. Mm-hmm. And it did, and so we did a transfer, wow. and it took. Wow. Wow. 
And then I went to, I flew out. My sister had just had her first baby, and so I went to go help her out. Mm -hmm. And I miscarried while I was there. So, And I had to keep all of that in because she had just (sighs) a new baby. So she had no idea? No. I didn't tell her until later. So... Once we did that, we had like four or five rounds of failing to even be able to transfer because of the lining and then having the miscarriage. We said, okay, we had a handful of frozen. My therapist called them topsicles, <laughs> frozen topsicles. <laughs> and, um, and we said, okay, like we're not against adoption, but if we have these and we were going to spend the money on IVF, let's explore what surrogacy looks like and is it something that we can do for our family and like what better way to spend our, our money, our savings, or everything. Than, than helping to grow our family. Mm-hmm. And that process, for someone that's a planner and a little bit of a control freak, that was really hard for me to kind of go with God on this. Like, I had to, I was, you know, by the not by the book crazy about with my pregnancy, but I was, you know, I would look up on my phone, like, can I eat this fish? You know, mm-hmm. things like that. I was very healthy. I yeah. exercised. I didn't put things that shouldn't go in my body. You know, all that stuff. And yeah, I was like, I'm going to have mm-hmm. to trust that this woman... Mm-hmm. And the process was, was was challenging because we went through two or three that ended up not working out. Mm-hmm. One, medical reasons, um, her lining wasn't growing. And I was like, nope, I'm not going this uh, route right. because you're, you're yeah. you know. You're and then um, another one was, I think, in it for the money and kind of mm-hmm. was trying to kind of scam us a little bit. Um, so finally, and these two women happened to be in Dallas, which was my dream, so I could go to every appointment and be as involved and feel the connection. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The woman that we ended up going with, who was a godsend, wonderful, beautiful woman, she was outside of Houston. And I was like, okay, it's still drivable. Mm-hmm. Figure this out. It'll be fine. And she was so amazing. We had a, a really great, we you know texted all the time, and we ended up transferring the egg and that one took on the first time. Wow. But it was like a slow... So what you do is you do things... You go to beta, which is a blood test, and they mm-hmm. tell you if you have enough of the HCG hormone in you. Mm-hmm. And then it's supposed to double every 48 hours. And hers didn't double every 48 hours, so we thought she was also miscarrying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a slow roll go, and then mm-hmm. it took off, and it did all the numbers it should, and so we were like elated. Wow. At the same time, I was feeling so sick and I was like something is really wrong with me and uh, y'all don't know me that way I'm a super hypochondriac like I just need to find out what's wrong so I don't panic about it but I always think something's wrong Mm. not not always but like if I'm feeling bad I'm like what is this I need to figure it out so I can just panic button button, yeah and also I have a very um strong stomach so I'm never nauseated like that's not that's not my illness of choice I'm a sinus infection girl not a I don't throw up I don't and I was like I have a bad stomach bug and I on my dad and I was like something is, is wrong and how long do stomach bugs usually last and he like he was like Andrea could you be pregnant and I was like dad that's so mean because he like I, I'm like why would you even say that that's so mean then like a week later still not feeling good and we're in the, the store with Dylan and I'm a pretty healthy eater and I need Cheetos, mm. like need them. And I'm like, Dylan's never had Cheetos before. I think we should buy these Cheetos. <laughs> we get in the car and I go, right, you know what's so funny? My mom really craved Cheetos when she was pregnant with me. Mm. I was like, do you think we should just get a test just to like get it out of my mind? And he was like, no, that would be like, well, don't do that to yourself. Mm. Like, yeah. Because we've been through so much heartache. Right, he's and, like, trying to protect you. Yeah. And we had just 
recently confirmed that uh, she was pregnant with uh, Olivia. And so I, I thought nothing of it again. And then I had bleeding. Mm. I was like, this is not right. Something's, something's wrong. So I called up every doctor and I was like, whoever can see me first, I'm going to. And it happened to be my fertility doctor, who was the doctor that did the surrogate, like our surrogate came from Houston to Dallas to do all of the treatments and stuff. Okay. And so I go and he does a, an ultrasound because I'm like, I think I have like something endometriosis or something's really wrong. And I see the blob on the screen and, I'm, and I very matter of factly was like, okay, so that's the tumor. Because that's where my head oh my went. Oh gosh, how and, scary. And Brett was there with me because I, I thought something was really wrong and we were like holding hands and I'm like gripping him and he goes, that's not a tumor, that's a baby. Oh my gosh. And I mean, I think I went like white and red and all the things and I start oh crying and gosh. laughing and I feel Brett kind of let go and kind of, you know, hit his head back as, as, it, as this information is hitting oh him and I'm like, gosh. no, that's, that's not right. Yeah. Like, you... I'm not supposed to be able to conceive on my own at all. Oh. He's like, well, I didn't say zero. I was like, you said less than a 5% chance. He said, I did say that, mm-hmm. but that's not zero. Wow. And so oh I'm like laughing, crying, cursing. Like, oh. this is not happening. Like, I was like, you just you just did a man. Like, right. how this can't be happening. Right. I'm like, this is crazy. And shock. Shock. Like, like, I was oh in total shock. Oh, my gosh. I just imagine, yeah, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger being, it's not the tumor. Uh, it's not the tumor. <laughs> <laughs> just being like what is going on right now oh my gosh all the feelings it was all the feelings it was I mean we literally we left that appointment and went straight to my parents house because I was still feeling so ill like and I never got I I got barely sick with Dylan so um, and this was how many weeks after your so we let's see so the reason why I said it was a tumor because it was big I mean what, what I saw on the screen was big and I was like I, keep, I always read those things, like, on People magazine or whatever. They're like, I went to the bathroom and, like, pooped out a baby. Like, I had no idea I was pregnant. I was like, I would never, I would know my body. I was eight weeks pregnant and had zero idea. Wow. Um, so, it had already been probably a month or two since we confirmed. But we were actually, we were probably, like, six weeks apart in terms of gestational dates. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the two things I remember telling my doctor was, like, Oh my God, I had wine. And oh my God, I fasted on Yom Kippur. <laughs> Is the baby going to be okay? And he's like, what's slow your roll? You know, and I wasn't on any of the medicines that I was required to be on when I was, you know, had Dylan. Mm-hmm. And so he immediately put on me on progesterone and some other things to make sure that, like, I kept the pregnancy. Yeah, it's stuck. Um, but, like, usually around eight weeks is when you leave your fertility doctor and go to your a regular doctor. And mm-hmm. so I was like, do, where do I go? Right. He's oh like, you go gosh. with your OB. Like, this happened. And so we went. I went to, like, wow. all – I went to, like, a, um, a maternal specialist and everything to, like, do all the testing because I was like, this is not supposed to happen. Yeah. yeah. And so it was the shock and surprise of our life. But, like, oh we were terrified and excited all at the same mm-hmm. time. Like, what is happening? Because yeah. um, we went from – one kid <laughs> to, oh to three kids. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. In not instant, part of the plan. Yeah, yeah, not not like plan. one, oh two, three. Like one to three. Yeah. yeah. And I think, by the way, I think I would have been just like you. All of a sudden, if I was like that far along, I would definitely have been like, what did I eat? What did I drink? What did oh, I do? Sure. What did I bang this on? Like, yeah. what, is, what is about to like come out of me? I would right. be so I was, worried yeah, I was the whole like, pregnancy. And I like tried to like brace myself of like, we're going to find something wrong because like 
this is why I don't understand how anyone has babies naturally because I knew every single thing about Dylan, like the embryo, mm-hmm. about Dylan and Olivia. I knew how that they were disease free, that they were, you know, everything genetically, genetically mm-hmm. everything was fine. And I'm like, and people just have these natural babies and they all come out fine. Right. And, I mean, not all of them come out fine. And so, um, that's really interesting that the way you say that though, that yeah. even though it's so much out of your control in the fertility process or with IVF, for example, right. That there is some control. There is. Right? Yeah, that yeah. you can choose right gender. You can choose right certain aspects yeah. that you can't when it's natural. Even though when it's natural, it feels like maybe you're more in control because you don't have to go through this, this process, process and rely on right. doctors and all these things. So it's interesting yeah, it's that, like that. dichotomy. Yeah. Dichotomy. Yeah. It's a good word. Yeah. So wow. I did get a few of the, well, besides the surprise of my lifetime with, with Sloan. So Brett knew what Olivia was a girl I did I chose not to because I was like that was taken away from me last mm-hmm. time I will you can surprise me if it goes well right. and then with Sloan like because nothing was wrong I had to wait like I couldn't do an early blood test I had to wait like till the 17 weeks and I'm like the planner in me I'm right. like well I was gonna do a pink pink room like what do, like am I doing pink and blue like what's happening and so long story long long story short that Sloan and Olivia are supposed to be six weeks apart and I just joked that Sloane was jealous that Olivia was having too much fun outside and kicked her way out. Oh, my gosh. But she was breech. Oh, so oh. because of my um, factor, you know, because nothing is going to be easy with any of this, I, um, I actually had to be completely knocked out because they're not allowed to do an wow. epidural on me. Oh. They shouldn't have done an epidural on me when I had Dylan either. Mm-hmm. There's risk, high risk of paralysis with what I have and stuff like that. So I'm like, cool, I'm glad I... <laughs> Oh my god! Escape that one. So, were you given a choice either don't get the epidural and do it naturally, or if she wasn't breech, I would have done it naturally. Oh, so, it. did you have to have a C-section? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, but be knocked out. Usually, C-sections yes, you're not. Yes, you're I was completely yeah. knocked out, and it all wow. the stars were aligned. So, obviously, Dylan was home. I had a three-week-old Olivia at home. Wow. Um, we had a night nurse that night who actually worked at the hospital that I delivered oh, at, good. and the lines were down. Oh. So she calls the other night nurse and was like, this is what's happening. Her water broke. Oh, also, my water never broke with Dylan. I was induced with Dylan. So, like, all the things were happening. And oh I was like, gosh. what's going on? Um, and it was 12 in the morning. And Brett was like, you were really, really polite. I basically was like, I'm so sorry to wake you. But I think my water broke. He's like, oh, I apologize. <laughs> Thankfully, they were so the the night nurse stayed until my mom could get there and be with Dylan and Olivia, and my dad went to the hospital with Brett and I, and like they just took like selfies with me, like because I'm like totally passed out, like cannot come to oh, from the anesthesia, and they're like, like sh- writing on your face. <laughs> they, like apparently, the ladies were like looking at like the little like forms that come out, the little printout things, and Brett kept being like. She's shaking uncontrollably. Can oh someone go God. do something? Oh you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been under anesthesia, but when you're coming out, like, whatever it is, like, makes you kind of, like, you're, like, jittery and, like, mm-hmm. freezing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, they kept asking me if I wanted to hold Sloan, and, that, and that, that's how he knew I wasn't with it because I just wouldn't even respond. Yeah, so, you're uh, coming out of anesthesia. Right. Yeah. He's like, I know you're my like wife. Yeah. Like, <laughs> something is something not right. Something is not right. Yeah. 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 Um, and how beautiful that you guys have a strong relationship and he was able to be there with you. We talked about in a few yeah. episodes about like in the pandemic and how some people oh weren't gosh. able to get oh, their partner. Yeah. So it's beautiful that he was able to advocate for you. I know. You couldn't advocate for yourself. Yes. Wow. Um, and I mean, not that I would have wanted to stay for a week in the hospital, but mm-hmm. I, because of my special condition, I got to stay extra time. So mm-hmm. what was great about that was 
Um, I wasn't able to nurse Olivia because it would have induced labor, and I really Mm -hmm. wanted to nurse her for the bonding experience, and we were able to have a lactation consultant help me, you know, teach Olivia how to nurse, and she did it beautifully, and we had her, we were able to get an exception and have her in-room with us, too, so Dylan had to go back home, but all the kids, all the babies were in-room with me. Um, Both of them got to stay, like, overnight with you. Yes. And be breastfed. Be breastfed. Yeah. But I had to stay extra because they wanted to do another transfusion for me. Mm. The great thing, there's, (laughs) I've had babies all the ways you can't accept it, uh, through adoption, so um, I delivered Dylan naturally, and I had C-section with, with Sloan, and was that they could control all of the bleeding, mm. and so I knew that it wasn't going, even though I was terrified still, I knew that it was not going to happen again, yeah, right. but like they had me, after I left the hospital, I came back, I'm going to say like eight or nine days later, and I just, I didn't have to stay overnight, but I did another transfusion, so they made sure I had tons of plasma. Mm-hmm. This was pandemic-y time and so I had to like make or and it was also Zika time and so I had to make sure it was like Zika free and like like it was all the things all the things you had to make sure because it's it's not which also works into your panic of like hypochondria oh my gosh plasma is not a blood transfusion so I did have that when I when I had the hemorrhage but the plasma is like the Mm -hmm. spin-off from the blood and it's like um it's life-saving for so many people and like because of my condition, I'm not allowed to be a donor, but I am so thankful that mm-hmm. people are, are willing to donate because that's what saved me, and that's yeah. what kept me, you know, being able to have kids and, and yeah. <laughs> stay alive after yeah. after I delivered. But um, it was the craziest, coolest experience, and, yeah. like, Brett and I would just look at each other and, like, just burst into laughter because we're just like, this is our, like, how magical oh and amazing gosh. and crazy is this life so that we get crazy. to have? Yeah. It's never um, what you expected to be. No. Never. Oh my gosh. Um, and so, in Dylan, he was about four and a half when the girls were born. And the hardest part, really, he had bonded with Olivia for those first three weeks. And so, Sloan kind of threw a wrench into the game. But also, because I had a cesarean, I couldn't do as much stuff with him for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, okay. I, like, Brett would, like, wheel me into, on, like, a, one of those, like, desk roller chairs oh, so I could get as close as I can to his bed so I could still do snuggles and, like, bedtime stories, but it just, like, wasn't the same. And, like, those things were hard for him, but, like... Yeah. And hard for you, I would imagine, uh, too, it was. right? And, like, I mean, think about it. He had four and a half years of being an only child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a transition. It's a transition. transition. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really stepped into the, the big roller role. He wanted to help out. Aww. He, you know, it was... The hardest part really was they turned what well the pandemic started and then they turned one right after yeah. and it was like I had an only child and babies because yeah. they were such they were so far apart mm-hmm. and he, he is eight now and they're about to turn four but they can play together now and it's, right. so it's like right. they can fight together now too right, but the right. play together now is the beautiful part <laughs> right 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 where they can entertain yes, each other but before it was like I, cause, and then I was nursing, I, I somehow convinced my body that I gave birth to two and I was able to nurse and pump enough for both of them for the whole year. Wow. wow. But that also took away from, like, I mean. I Everything. Provide, time. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I was, I had no shame in my game. I was willing to pump anywhere because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to do things with him. So I would bring it in the car, pump in the car, go in. I mean. Good for you. Airplanes, buses, yeah. cheeky monkey, like you name it, I've pumped there. I could write, I could write a book. Um, 
You're there yesterday. That's small. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's important, right? Because it's, you know, modesty goes out the window. Yeah. I remember before I had my kids, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want anybody in the room. Like when I'm breastfeeding, like it's weird. It's awkward. And after I had my kids, I was like, whatever. Like like, totally on display. You gotta do what you gotta do. You go from it being like a sexual part of your body to a food machine. It's a food machine. And then it's, who cares, right? So, wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. What I'm so impressed by is when you're talking about how going through it, you couldn't tell anybody, had to keep it so close to the vest, and that here you are sharing your experience so beautifully, so openly. I'm curious how that happened for you. You said, okay, I'm going to open up about this because that takes a lot of courage. Well, after Dylan and, like, I started just kind of having more time to research and, like, finding out that this was so much more prevalent and that so many people that I was either – close to or just acquaintances with Mm -hmm. were experiencing fertility or secondary and I was like and no one it was like the elephant in the room no one spoke about it and no one's and no one yeah and I think again for me personally it was that shame or embarrassment that I you know my body's expected to do xyz and it's Mm -hmm. not doing x y and z and that I have to go to these links and also I think there was a little bit of I don't know if it's shame or discomfort in the fact that I was fortunate to be able to afford it, and there are so many women that can't. And, I mean, we were blessed. My, my parents helped us, too. Like, it, it it takes a financial, emotional, physical toll. Oh, yeah. Um, so much. And I think it can also um, break relationships because there it, it takes two to tango, but there's so much on the woman because all the treatments are being done for us. Like, mm-hmm. sure, they have to have testing done on their sperm, and they might have to do some take some medicines or things like that. Fortunately, Brett didn't have to do any of that. So I felt like it made it more shameful for me that like, something was wrong with me. And, like, yeah. Brett was really good about reframing that, saying, yeah. this is us. This is just the way we are going to have our children. Yeah. This is a partnership. And, I mean. Oh, that's amazing. That's really I mean, we, he would, like, literally play that song. Shot, 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 <laughs> shot, shot. Every time he gave me a shot, like, he was such a trooper. Like, Oh, that's amazing. Um, and wow. I also, like, think back and I'm like, I cannot believe he and I were allowed to, like, just do this on our own. Like, why we were not at a doctor's office every day. Like, but, like, that's what you, that's you what do. You and, do. like. We were, I was in business school during when I had, was going through it with Dylan and, and working with Sloan and Olivia. And like, I mean, I was in sterilizing bathrooms and secretly giving myself a shot, you know, um, it's, you have to, and it's timed and it's, you have to do it within a certain window. And, um, I just, I, if telling, you know, I always hear this about, you know, especially in October, you know, breast cancer month, and they're like, one person hears this about the man room. But really, if one mom, if uh, one mom to be, if one person going through this or thinking like something's wrong and I don't know what to do and hears this and it's like, okay, seeking a fertility specialist or talking to someone else or saying, here are my concerns. Like, if that helps someone, like, I want to be there. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to be able to, I mean, I literally, I've posted in a bunch of these Facebook groups and I've talked to so many stranger women mm-hmm. oh, just to like amazing. talk them through like, or they'll, you know, sometimes they ask me medical questions that I don't feel very comfortable answering. And so I'll, I'll help them like how they should ask their doctor. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, I, I want to be able to help because it was, it was, you know, even with the surrogate, um, and knowing that everything was going well, like there is so much you have to give up there um and there's so much fear uh on my part uh on the mother's part I feel like of like will this child love me will it be bonded to me will it you know genetically biologically ours 
it was literally just a different oven. Right. But I was so, and I was just so concerned about that and like, what, what am I doing? And then I was terrified to even tell our surrogate that I was pregnant. Like, would she be disappointed because she was doing this for us? Right. And like, I mean, there's so I'm, much fear. There's so yeah. much fear. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also sounds like societal fear, right? Like, oh, I'm not doing it the way I'm supposed to, so therefore it's not really my child, or it's not really this, or it's not really the right way, or can I be happy, right? That there's right. this, this, I don't know, stigma is the right word, yeah. but yeah, that it's really hard. I think it's really beautiful that you give your time to other people who are going yeah. through this, because it. I love what you're saying, that it takes so much in your body. It's not just like, oh, we can't get pregnant, so like, okay, here's, I'm just going to pop out some eggs and yeah. like stick them in a, right. you know, a freezer, right? Your body has to go through so much to maybe get some viable eggs if you're lucky, right? right? Some people don't even get that. And so much. And I think some people don't understand that process. Even the people who are going through the process, right. what does this mean? So no, I think it's, it's really I beautiful. think it's all, it's, yeah. it's scary and confusing. And, it, mm-hmm. and I think when you're in the right hands of the right doctors, like you can kind of let go a little bit. And sometimes you just have to, you have to trust the experts, um, which is sometimes really hard, especially if you're experiencing failures. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause not, we, we were so lucky with Dylan that our first egg took, that doesn't happen all the time. Right. And you know, there's, um, ours was a frozen embryo tra- transfer. There's also a fresh where they retrieve. And then a few days later they transfer right mm-hmm. back in. And so, you know, you have to be able to to weigh all of those and understand what your options are and and what's right for you and what you feel most confident and comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and also you'd put your life on hold, right? I'm guessing it was hard to travel or make plans oh, yeah. start sure. because you have yeah. to be ready when you get the call, right? For sure. Yeah. Yes. That was that was probably one of the hardest things is just feeling like we were just stuck in this endless cycle and I mean it helped that I was in business school with Dylan because I had I was accountable to my, my business school groups. I had to, to show up every day for all of that. And they had zero idea how much I was suffering. Mm. And so I pride myself in that a little bit. Like, yeah. I kept oh, you should. You did it. Yeah, yeah. It takes yeah. so much strength to but be able to But at my graduation, that. I was able to share mm. with my my cohort, mm. you know, and that was, they were so excited for me. And it's things like that where, like, you have to find, like, the little bits of the joy and the mm. wins and the I can do this attitude which it took a lot of work like I mentioned I had a therapist during that time too because I I just there I felt like there was I was so down on myself like there was something so you know you know why was this happening to me why is there something so Mm -hmm. wrong with me um and so I had to really work out of that and that anxiety of like trusting this doctor that I didn't know and doing all this invasive stuff to my body and then so what would all, yeah, and so I think all of that, all of those tools combined, I felt like I had a really good tool belt mm-hmm. and a really awesome support system in Brett. And then when we did it again with our extended family, mm-hmm. um, and so that's beautiful. Yeah. It's true because right, this this is not something that you could prepare for, Mm-mm. right? And so I think it's beautiful that you asked for help and you reached out and you got a therapist because yeah. sometimes you need somebody who knows how to help people because right. how else are you supposed to know how to help yourself, right? This is not something that. In society, they teach you, right? You're just supposed to go on this certain path, typically, and anything off that path is, you know, it's hard. So yeah. I think it's really beautiful that you did that and you got your village. I'm so impressed. So how have you, like, kind of reframed those feelings of shame or feeling like there's something wrong with you just for anybody who's going through this themselves? Mm-hmm. Or advice for them. Yeah. Too. Yeah, advice. Well, I go, I go back to what I said earlier about 
that moms fight for their kids. Mm -hmm. And so I had to put that, like, I am going to be a fighter to have these kids. I am going to do everything that I'm told. I'm going to be as healthful about it as possible. But I also, you know, you said put your life on hold, but we also tried to make time and space for Brett and I, especially before when it was, when we were just trying for Dylan, you know, doing a weekend away, you know, even if we had to bring the pills and the shots and everything with us, like just enjoying this time pre-kids, like enjoying what we had together, enjoying, you know, as we were starting to like grow in our careers and like being able to like be okay with like that there's this like section of me that's like sad but that it's okay to accept joy and be you know bring that in as well and like kind of hopefully harbor that and harvest that so that grows to overpower like Mm -hmm. I think it's always like we always want to not suppress sadness we're like put that away away." Mm -hmm. but I'm really good at like once that sadness has happened I like black it out Mm -hmm. I'm like I'm gonna grow now and I'm gonna I I can't I don't sit on that and so that was a really big thing for me is to not be like, well, that happened, so it's going to happen again or, you know. Yeah. I mean, I still have my, you know, weird anxieties about, like, kids getting hurt or, you know, diseases and illnesses. But, like, sure. I don't just sit and fester on it. I have to, I have to attack and go. All right. Yeah. yeah. And that's beautiful because I would imagine if you stayed in that sort of hopeless place, that takes a toll on your body and messes with your emotions and all that. Whereas to be hopeful, which is so hard. Yeah. It's so hard when you're going through that to try and remind yourself, okay, be hopeful, be hopeful, go on this yeah. vacation. And it's really easy to just want to lock yourself in your room and close the curtains and just be depressed all the time because oh, it's such a depressing. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially back, process. you know. I would think about, because my in-laws don't live in, in town. They live out of town. And so every time we'd have, like, a scheduled visit, I'm like, another time I don't get to tell them. Another time I don't get to tell them, you know. And I had to, like, yeah. pivot that, too. I was like, I will get to tell them. And it will, it can be a random day in July. It does not have to be on Thanksgiving or Hanukkah or whatever, yeah. uh, someone's birthday, you know, like how I had dreamed it in my head. Yeah. And it worked out beautifully that way, too. And Yeah, you got um, to tell them. Yeah. You got to tell them. So I'm curious because I, I'm curious if this is hard for you. Now, fast forward and you have these kids that when times are hard, whether they're fighting or behaviors, do you find that difficult where you're saying, I don't know, and maybe I don't even know if this is the right question to ask of, you know, I should be thankful or it's not okay to be mad at my kids. It's not okay to be stressed out because of how hard it was to get to this place to have these kids. I'm curious so if you ever have that kind of guilt. Yeah. yeah. So I mentioned my anxieties about like, I know every parent, every mother, every father, every person who cares for a child loves them mm-hmm. and doesn't want anything bad to happen. But I feel like I almost have it to a heightened degree because I worked so hard to get these kids. And yeah. so to to um, to your question, like there are times where I'm like, bring it down. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm a mom. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know... We all feel this way, Why right? We all wanted these kids. Yes, like we of course. Right? Yeah. So I was saying, I don't even know if it's the right question. No, to I ask, know. Yeah, so because I always feel weird saying that because every every person's journey and fight and birth story and all of this is 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 their own and different, and mm-hmm. no one's better, or worse, or more. It just it, I feel it so strongly for all three of them mm-hmm. that you know I. I'll beat myself up a little bit if I feel like I literally lost it with them or I, like, I, you know, I yelled too much or, you know, I just, I want to pass on bedtime routine and have my husband do it one more time because it's, I just can't have another whining, you know, and then I'm like, and then I'll sit there and be like, oh, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I love them so much. They're, you know. Right. 
That's but, what I feel like we all do. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And maybe that's the point, right? That yeah. no matter how you have your kids, yes. right, we all feel the same emotions. We all feel the same guilt. And maybe that's the point. So maybe that leads into my next question. Because maybe I should be like, Lauren, you shouldn't have asked that question. I should know better even with my own specialty as a therapist. But, I mean, what do you feel? Because I'm sure you've heard comments where people try to be helpful and maybe they don't know what to say. Yeah. Things that maybe are helpful to say to someone going through this experience, are not helpful to say going know, through this experience. I know, I still, I'm really So that interested people don't make those mistakes yeah, as often if they're yeah. listening. Hopefully. Well, like, the, the changes that I personally made is I have never in the past eight years asked someone if they want kids, or if they're trying, mm-hmm. if they want more. Mm-hmm. And that's so good to know because I feel like that. It's such a common question. It, yes, and it's so it's and, usually innocuous. Yeah, yeah, and not like, well no, intended. It, yes, and it's just like a conversation starter. But yeah, it can well. I even be very insensitive. Yeah, yeah. I even laughed when we were before we knew all of this when people were asking if we were trying. I'm like, you were asking me if I'm having sex on a regular basis. Right. My husband, like, how intrusive <laughs> can you get? Right, right. <laughs> Give me my privacy. Yeah, right. Um, and so that was one personal thing. But yeah, I also if I maybe sense or either know or sense that maybe someone is, is struggling, that I will just, if they don't know my story, I'll kind of drop it so yeah. that they have, feel like they have a safe space to ask questions or talk about it. Mm. Um, if I do know, I will always have them lead the conversation and not pry and say, like, I am always here just to be a listening ear. Because mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes, at least in my personality, I want to help fix I'm a fixer I want to help I want to give advice and so I have to really rein it in and be like I am just going to be here to listen if you want me to comment or if you want me to help you weigh something let me know but I am just going to be here to listen so you can get it off your chest and I think that that is always really helpful and just saying like that you're here that you you know you feel for them and I feel like it's harder it I get this question a lot from people that have had no fertility issues that they feel guilty or bad like oh it just came naturally to them don't feel guilty or bad. Just say, I know that I don't know what you're going through exactly, but I am here to be a support. I'm here to help you and I love you and just know that I'm here. And I think that that is always like, yeah, the support. That's a big piece. Just knowing that people are like in your corner rooting for you, but also not like looking at your waistline, you know, because that's like always the hardest part. Is that a little bump? You know, that was the, that's literally the hardest thing Mm -hmm. because everyone you know, always says like, oh, you, you were on babies, you know, do you, you want more? It's not the babies that do it for me. It's the pregnant bellies because mm-hmm. it was so hard to get that pregnant belly mm-hmm. um, that I love yeah. seeing other little pregnant bellies and um, I'm like, yeah. oh, just one more time. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, I definitely have those moments. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. beautiful, right? That just showing your support, right? I think mm-hmm. some people try and maybe it's our own uncomfortabilities that will say, well, at least you're this and at least you're that. Mm-hmm. And it's like sometimes it's not helpful to, you know, put a positive spin right, on someone's right. difficult times, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Just say, I'm here for you. I support you. You know, how can I help? Right. right? Yeah. yeah. No, because I got to a place, I remember, right before we started, I think it was right after I miscarried. I can't remember exactly. I remember we were in the Preston Royal parking lot and we were both holding one of Dylan's hands. And I was like, it's going to be okay. He's mm-hmm. going to be okay just by himself. And I, like, got to this place of, like, see, we don't have to do anymore. And then we started, and then it was a couple months later that we started talking about surrogacy and um, all of that. But I felt like I had to really work at, this was not my vision. This was not how it was supposed to go. I wanted him to have a sibling so bad. Like, 
so it would, but it, it took a lot of work just to be like, we are a great unit, yeah. and he's going to be loved, and we have, you know, cousins and extended family, and he, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, a lot of self-soothing. Yeah, self-soothing. Yeah, a lot of self-soothing, yeah. and a lot of, there was a lot of grieving. Yeah, grieving. Grieving oh, happened sure. yeah. a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Grieving that the lack of a normal pregnancy process, yeah. obviously grieving when we miscarried. I had to really let myself be okay in that grief and yes. let myself feel it. And then, again, as I said, I'm a really grieve. Yeah. And then I got I have to move on because mm. I, I don't want to sit in it. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. And that's so important because I don't know if people realize that. It's grief, right? It You're is. giving up. It's not yeah. just about like a typical, you know, you love someone and then they die, right? Mm-hmm. You're giving up ideas, hopes, dreams, expectations. Sometimes, you know, when you're miscarrying or if you have infant loss or whatever, right, there is. And it's hard to even talk about it, right? Typically, if like, I don't know, God forbid, a grandparent dies and then there's a big funeral and everybody goes over the yeah. house and we all celebrate together. The fertility process, there's tons of grief. And it's not that experience, yeah, right? right? Nobody, right? Not nobody, you don't but have that same support, right? The or, same support, yeah. or feel like you can talk about it, right? right? I mean, I'm curious if that's what it was like for you. It's like I'm, I am grieving so much, but it's, it's yeah, not, but it's societal, not societal, typical like, grief that I can yeah. ask for what I would get if someone in our family were to die, right? No, yeah. it, it is exactly that. It's, <sighs> it's this, it, it's a, it's a secret grieving because, secret grieving. especially the, the canceled where I worked so hard, did all the things, took all the medicines, and then they were like, nope, you can't transfer. Nope, mm-hmm. your line didn't grow. Or mm-hmm. nope, this failed. Something failed, you know. Yeah. And just yeah. having that failure, because you're already feeling like a failure. Yes. So it was that was really, really a challenge. And just, again, not, not giving up hope was, you know, Brett and I had, you know, kind of made this pact. Like, we were going to figure this out one way or another. Once we committed to the surrogacy thing, we were like, we are going to, Dylan will have a sibling. We will grow our family. It might not be the way that we had thought about it, and that's going to be okay. And we will, you know, at the end of the day, we will have our, the baby. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the craziest, most surreal was being in the delivery room with our surrogate and having, um, and you know, they, I got to do skin to skin right away, but I'm also eight and a half months pregnant. Oh, yes. Gosh, that must have been a really interesting experience. To it like was have it was, a newborn. That's uh, yours it was and be crazy because like we in roomed at the hospital there, but like they kind of forgot about us because they didn't need to check on me because I didn't deliver. And oh, <laughs> it was a weird, weird kind of thing. But we don't, we were we were it was a short stay there, and my my cousin had um, a baby a few months earlier and had overproduced and graciously donated some of her breast milk so I could give Olivia breast milk because I wasn't able to like we had so many magical things happen during that time but it was really crazy to be walking around like because and Olivia was a fussy baby and she just only wanted to be like worn and that like wrappy thing you know but like I had this huge belly so she was just like up here in my (laughs) neck and I'm just like that's why I think that's why I think Sloan came out so early she was like girlfriend get off of me I need space in here. What's space. going on? Yeah. That is so funny. Yeah. That's beautiful. Because the Aww. words that come to my mind as you're talking is resilience, courage, yeah. strength. strength for sure. I mean, hope. I mean, the fact that you're able to channel all that is just really incredible. Wow. So, yeah. So I'm curious, right? So now that you have, you said eight-year-old and then two, now they're Almost, three and a half. Yeah. I mean, what is it like to be a mom of three? 
<laughs> I always like to think we're like we're like the fun car circus. Like it's just three, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it feels like there might be twelve. Right, you know, right, there's right. Something Depends always, on the mm-hmm. always happening. Um, we also added a four-month-old puppy to the mix because oh why not? Right. Um, and so I just I feel like there's always something going on and always someone that needs something. But it's just it's really been fun as I mentioned. Now that they can all play together, like Dylan has. While he gets very possessive over his things and his time and his thing, he really likes to like, create experiences for them. He'll per- oh. like create a pretend grocery experience or a Aww, pretend airport, and it's just yeah. awesome to watch. Or just when the two of them are playing together, uh, Olivia and Sloane in particular, and like we get to go, you know, play cards or do mm-hmm. something like Big Kitty with Dylan. And I just look over and I'm just like, Brett, this is our life. Like it. I still say that, like, almost four years later. Like, this is so cool. Like, we did this. And, like, they have each other. um, And it's just so awesome. I mean, Dylan always likes to point out that they have each other and he does not have one. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, he's like, you and Mom, you and Daddy sleep in the same room. Olivia and Sloan sleep in the same room. And I'm by myself. Do they ever have sleepovers? They haven't yet, but they just, we just moved the girls into like real twin beds. And so I feel like now we could, if Dylan was willing, we could probably put up. (laughs) blow up mattress in their room and they can do it but or in my parents house they've they've all slept over together so yeah, that's so sweet um so that's but yeah beautiful. it's it's so fun and yeah. um I just I savor every moment to be honest and like I I think part of me also I know I do a little bit of sheltering because I just I want them to stay young and innocent mm-hmm. for as long as I can especially in this crazy world and like mm-hmm. when yeah. Dylan who again is eight and still like wants me to snuggle with him at night or yeah. you know when they're yeah. sick I'll, when they're sick all three of them prefer me but but mm-hmm. like Dylan especially because it's hard mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I want him to be a mama's boy but I also want him to you know be independent and totally. you know yeah. and Brett is coach of all the things and so he has a you know he has that connection with Brett and I'm like oh, I love that you still want to snuggle with me at night Aww. it's Aww. Sweet. Um, really sweet it is I feel like that is I find that as a mom, it's like, I want you to be independent, but I want you to, like, need Need me. me. And I want you to, like, go off and, like, make friends, but I want you to still hug me. Like, it's a lot of the, like, push and pull of of that right? right and you're right like at this age you only get it for so long and then all of a sudden they're like mom get away from me yeah, i'm gonna they don't go want the hugs and they kiss right well my and they learn to drive and then they want right all the things and then oh, they yes. get older yeah. dylan right? is for sure already embarrassed of me like oh, when there's events at school um, that i i can sit in the row behind him he doesn't like sit with me i'm like all the other kids are sitting with their moms and dads but that means you did good he's yeah. he's, comfortable. Yeah. he's comfortable he's independent he's enough to say yeah, exactly i'm ready to do this yeah, on my own yeah Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for letting me share with you guys. Yeah, Yeah. such an incredible story. And if anybody out there, you know, if you want to share your experience or have any questions or anything, um, please reach out. Also, I do, this is not sponsored, but Postpartum Postpartum Support International is a great resource. They have free online groups um, for moms that are going through this experience, just moms in general. And also they have fertility groups, um, but that's a great resource if you ever feel like you're struggling. And I don't know if you have any resources that... Yes, there there are a handful, especially if you want to talk to other people, women that are going through this. There is a bunch of for those of you that are in Texas that are going through fertility or surrogacy. There's a Texas surrogacy group on Facebook that was super helpful for me to ask questions to. Um, but there's um, one that's called IVF Support, and those women are they lift each other up. There, it's beautiful. Um, I wish I could talk to every single one of them and mm-hmm. encourage them to that to not give up on their fight. Um, mm-hmm. But those those are my two 
you know, main places was really finding, it was actually easier to talk to strangers for me than to, to my own family <laughs> or my own friends about it. So, you know, you can go and post anonymously, on, anonymously or ask questions. And I think that was really helpful as I was trying to really get a grip on what I was doing and what my options were. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. I think that's it. Thanks yeah. again, Andrea. And we'll Thank you so much. Uh, be back next week. Thank you all for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Feel free to DM us on Instagram at mom underscore the podcast with things you want to hear about or even your own stories. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, give us a five-star review and share with another mom friend. And as always, remember that no matter what you're going through, you are not alone. See See you next time. time.